We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk about three through eight on the Lakers roster. Now, this portion of the roster, I, I kind of want to talk about why we're parsing it out the way that we are first and what three through eight is on a, on a good team. To me, so these are not the guys that you're giving the ball to at the end of the game. They're not, you know, tie game with two minutes down the stretch and you're, you're the players that you even run your offense through. But they are core pieces. They you need you need them to get to that ultimate goal and you need that group to be good. And I think there is a strong argument to be made that this this place is where the Lakers roster is weakest in its most important spots, right? I bemoaned earlier in the, the year, our end of the bench, the 10 through 15 guys, a lot of those guys not being like NBA caliber players and through the injuries, them not being able to step in. But in terms of getting to where you want to go, those guys are way less important than those three through eight. And We've had various three through eights over the course of uh, of a bunch of different title teams over our lifetimes, D. And so I would love to hear your thoughts on what this portion of a roster provides to a good team. Well, I think we need to differentiate too between like a good team and a championship team and how players who you think could only do it on a good team sometimes become guys who could do it on a championship team and you never really know about a guy until they're in that that moment mm-hmm. and so some of this is like discussion of skill set which i think we'll dig into a lot here and like positionality and and where you fit next to the team's number one and two guys because this is three through eight but some of it too mike is sort of just like well 
Like, do you got it when the lights are brightest? And that's something that you kind of don't know until you know. And you either do or you don't. And sometimes even when you do, sometimes you still fail. Like, I'll never forget like those Tragic Johnson stories when Magic was just throwing the ball away in winning time. And it's like, what the hell happened? You were finals MVP just two seasons ago. And now Mm -hmm. you're kicking the ball all over the court. Like what the hell happened to you? And so I just wanted to put that qualifier on there first. Mike, before we like dig into the weeds about like even former Lakers role players that I think we could even point back to to 2020. Is there anything else you wanted to tack on on top of that to to sort of set up the conversation and any other qualifiers that that you might have around this stuff? Well, no, I think that the conversation around this develops pretty organically for us in our text thread because we've been debating and I never say arguing because I don't think there's ever really a major disagreement. Uh, Well, maybe one this year, but the the way that this evolved, right, was Pete was talking a lot about and he wasn't saying anything wrong, but about sort of the the issues at the end of the roster. And and Pete, please interject wherever you want, because to make sure that I'm not misrepresenting sure. your position. So and I was kind of like, yeah, yes, but I don't remember that many rosters in NBA history, you know, like championship winning or not, where. Those were the debate points, right? Like, well, if only they had this guy at at the 12th spot and this guy at the 15th spot. And really really where this roster, I think, has fallen short, and a lot of it's been because of injuries, and has been in that three to seven slash three to eight range. And a lot of this also has to do with the whole Westbrook discussion, because he has the three there, right? That... If you have the three star system, right, the three sometimes almost can count for like a three, four, five or, or like can extend down um, into making the fourth or the fifth spot less important. If that person in the three spot is, you know, is is really meeting that like really third all star level. Uh, mm-hmm. Pete, did you want to interject on that one? No, no, no. I'm, oh, OK, no, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Yeah, no, please, please. That was on. good active listening. Yeah, I was looking at Pete kind of uh, yeah, nodding behind the mic over there. So then <laughs> then Kendrick Nunn right? Who is the one that you use an exception for has not played. So that that's a killer to not just basically have erased that roster spot in a, in a key spot is important. Another one of those spots is, is Taylor Horton Tucker. And while he's actually, I thought played really well the last couple of games before the all-star break, had he been playing like that all year, then maybe part of this conversation is different also, but it's, it's like this whole, the combination of the three-star system of Russ having the season that he's had at the three spot, not having none. That to me has kind of killed that three to seven uh, slash eight spot. And that's without even factoring in the the size issue and the, re- the repetition of sort of all the guards and the lack of that two-way big type of guy. Yeah, you could you could throw a dart, Mike, and whatever your complaint is, like my complaint earlier in the season about the end of the bench, that was correct. And you always, yeah, like you said, you agreed with it. You're just saying, but this thing is also on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, yes, it is. And this thing is more important than, you know, than, than that thing is. My argument for the 10 through 15 was never that that would be a debate point on getting us to the championship. It's that it's a debate point on getting us through the season. Like one yeah, player fair. that yeah. I feel like we've really under-discussed in terms of importance of getting through the season was Trez. Trez won us several games last year where it was just a a game against a bad team, but he had 24 points on 10 of 12 shooting and then hit a few free throws and had like 10 boards, right? And we got a, a random win against a bad team where we didn't play particularly well. And so that it 
in when you go back to the number three spot, the weakness of a consolidation trade like that is that you go from three bodies to one, three of those eight D to that one. And so even if that three is very good, you have to fill two more spots. I just want to create a little bridge here between what you were arguing for in 10 through 15 and what Mike is arguing for in three through eight is that three is Russ in this case, four is THT and five and five is none. Right. Mm-hmm. And so six, seven and eight, that's three, three guys, right? Nine, 10, 11 and 12. That's three more guys that basically makes up those six players or so make up basically the rest of the rotation guys like 13 spots 13 through through 15 they are guys who basically should never play like yes. so many wrong things would need to happen to your team in terms of availability for those guys to be look looked at it just so happens that players 6 through 12 on the Lakers roster basically all make the same amount of money and so they're all minimum players Right. And so Pete's mm-hmm. argument about like 10 through 15, that's not wrong within the context of the three through eight com- conversation either, because some of those some of those like nine, 10, 11 and 12 guys, those are the dudes who are like, well, y- you need to be as good as these other dudes, you're all you're all making the same amount of money like you are all picked from the same level of availability across the league and the fact that some of those guys have shown that they can't play at all they've been banished to the end of the rotation where now a a undrafted rookie is in the rotation where a guy who signed multiple 10-day contracts is in the rotation these weren't guys who you would have expected to contribute at all this season and they are playing real rotation minutes and that's only because of the failures of those 10 through 15 spots and so in a way Pete and Mike, you guys were arguing the same point, but looking at it from a different Mm -hmm. sort of range because Mm -hmm. all of those guys are important to this specific Lakers team. Yeah, it's like an injury in a body, right? Like if you're if you've got something going on with your back, then you probably have something going on with your hip. Like which one is more important? Uh, But they're connected. And I I think the, the one part of the Lakers roster, if you compare it to a team that has some young players and they've had lottery picks over the last couple of years. So those emerging guys might be in that 10 through 15, but they've got the kind of talent where they can plug in to the six or the seven spot in the case of an injury. And and this is where I think Pete's point is especially valid where, so, okay, so Kendrick Nunn's out, but so who's the guy in maybe the 12 or 13 spot that can plug into that place? And my argument back has been, well, that you're, you really are pretty limited when you have in with the cap situation that you have with three legit max stars unless and you can't expect any front office to to be able to hit perfect you know on those 10 to 15 spots not that you were pete but like that that's also that's a chicken egg uh, part of it to me to some extent where i just ex- i expected that those spots you were not going to be able to get a lot out of a couple of them I, I guess is the way that i would put it i would expect that too let's take a quick break before i respond this has been a fun conversation we'll keep it going on the other side of the break We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Again, this is, you know, you could throw a dart and hit something else. Like whenever you talk about, this is also a roster balance issue because we've never had problems filling in for guard spots. We had a weird thing at the first like game or two of the season where we had like four guards out at the same time. But Wayne came back quickly. Monk came back quickly. And and we were pretty, we've been able to fill in at the guard spot. It's that, it's more that the guys who are capable have been so, and, and even the guys who are not, have been so, just the roster is so geared toward that guard position that your reinforcements at the four spot and the five spot. I, one of the things that I thought this conversation would lead toward would at the end, we'd kind of like list, you know, who are our three through eight on this team with what we've learned through this season. And I think we'd be surprised to find out how many of those guys are small, <laughs> you know, or, oh, and, or don't play defense. The guys who are bigger, you know, are Carmelo Anthony and Stanley Johnson has emerged. But like you said, D, that's on the uh, after a 10 day contract, right? It wasn't in the initial construction of the team. So within that three through eight, like they're almost a unit where if your three through eight are all guys who are six, five, Malik Monk, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, uh, Russell Weston Reeves, Russell Westbrook, those are guys who are all contenders, if not in that three through eight. And that doesn't mean any of them are not good or cannot capably fill one of those spots. But if all of them are relatively small, then you have a bigger issue with the overall unit. This brings me back to the question that you initially asked me, Pete, which is like, hey, what do these guys look like on good teams or even on championship teams? Because we've rooted for plenty of those in our lifetime mm-hmm. as Lakers fans. And one of the ideas that you brought up during the championship season, Pete, was this idea of the role players not taking things off of the table. And I think that's that's a great sort of baseline level to start at when you're talking about what you want from guys who are in these slots on the roster. You want guys who don't make a lot of mistakes, who are somewhat reliable on both ends of the floor. And, and even better than that, it's like if you have a baseline level of competence on offense and and on defense, that's great. But if on one of those 
side side of the floor, you could be considered like a difference maker in one or two areas that then raises your overall floor as a player to just like a step or a step and a half higher. You are now like, okay, I can depend on you. And dependability is something that that I I am a big proponent of as like a basketball fan. And I know that I value that even less than like what an NBA coach would, Mike, because coaches crave dependability and they crave that dude that's just like, oh, I don't have to coach that dude. Like my wife's a teacher. Do you know how many times that she will talk about like the kids who don't require a lot of attention? Right. Because every classroom is going to have a batch of kids that they just require more of your energy. They require more of your attention. They require more resources. And those are often pulled from the students who who don't need as much of that in order to still thrive in a classroom environment. Well, guess what? Coaching's the same way. There are some players where it's just like, I need to stay on this dude all of the time in order to get the best out of him. And there are other dudes who you don't even have to be a star player for this to qualify that. Like there are some guys where it's just like, yeah, just roll the ball out. This dude knows his assignments. He knows what we're doing schematically. He knows what we want to accomplish on any given possession. And now I don't have to coach him the same way. I think you just described a lot of the appeal of Avery Bradley to Frank Vogel. That's a guess on my part, but you know exactly what you're going to get from him every night. Yeah. And there are holes like those players still have holes in their games, right? But if the holes are also predictable and they mm-hmm. are somewhat manageable within the context of what you want out of the overall goals of a five-man lineup or out of a team, then you find ways to account for those, or at least you find ways to be more forgiving of those. When you are unpredictable in your dependability and unpredictable in the types of mistakes that you're going to make like oh on any given possession you're not boxing out or you're floating around and not getting back in transition defense or you're or you're or you're you're a problem and coaches have way less patience for that because of that dependability factor mike and so when i think of guys who were good who fit the ideal role of like these three through eight guys on like winning teams. I think of guys who bring a certain baseline of things to, to the table, but way more importantly, they don't take a bunch of stuff off. And that's where I think the Lakers are. They have less of those guys. They like the guys who fill those, those slots, they take, they actively take things off of the table that you have to account for. And then building out lineups that work becomes so much harder. Well, I think this is part of this is probably the point of the podcast where we mentioned the name Austin Reeves as the guy who just doesn't take that much off of the table, um, barring just some, you know, some weird matchup that you can't account for on the defensive side where somebody's really targeting him and you can't help. For example, AD isn't playing, but that type of player that that you can leave out there that has the type of skills on offense and it's going to be in the right place defensively. Like you said, Darius, like the teacher doesn't have to worry about that player. And, you know, maybe the only worry from Frank Vogel isn't that, all right, well, this is the undrafted rookie and especially early in the season. And I've got all these vets who have you know signed here for a reason and to play. And at least the good news coming out of the all-star break is like all those pretenses are gone right now. Right. For this game coming back on Friday against the Clippers, it's which of these lineups, which of these players can actually help find a way to win these games 
enough and who are going to be the guys hierarchy uh, in the hierarchy that step into those positions and step into those spots. And there still are like Johnson, right? We've, he's done some great stuff on defense, but certain times on offense when he's out there and he's not shooting the ball, you got to think about, all right, well, man, we've got to put Malik Monk in, but then Malik Monk is going to get targeted in, on defense and oh, man. All right. Well, can you, how, how often Pete, can you go offensive defense, right? With those guys. And that's, that's not sure. a problem that's going to be fixed when we get back from the all-star break. Yeah, I think that when you build a roster around three max guys, what you end up with in that four through eight beyond that are guys who are either low level generalists, which would be a Stanley Johnson who does a little bit of a lot of different things at a competent NBA level. and But he's got a spectrum like there's some things he's actually pretty good at and some things where it's like, I'd rather not him be the one that shoots that three, you know, but he's a generalist in that he brings a lot of different things to the table, but he's just not great at any one thing. And then you have a lot of specialists like a guy like Malik Monk or Carmelo Anthony. Uh, shooters are the most prominent specialists, but certainly not the only ones. You've got your, like, I would argue that Dwight is a specialist of sorts at, at this point of his career. And so so that idea of dependability that Darius brought up, I think, is really important in that context of do I know who you're going to be on a night to night basis? You might have huge holes in your game, but can I depend on can I build around those holes? Vogel has really taken an affinity to Carmelo Anthony and Carmelo Anthony is not the best defender, but I think that. Vogel feels as though he can depend on Melo. Like he knows where Melo is going to be bad. And if you know where a player is going to be bad on a night to night basis, you can work around that. This is actually my biggest argument against Russell Westbrook, who's someone I've defended quite a bit this season, is that I don't know when he's going to be locked in. That's the biggest volatility in his game that is really important. I can live with the missed layups, the drives to the rim, the turnovers. Those are all those are all things that have a side benefit to them where it's like I think that in the net that it comes out as a real positive and his ability to switch on defense and get defensive rebounds. I think he provides value in a lot of different areas, but I don't know if that's going to be there from one night to the next. And when it is, the Lakers look like a pretty good team. And so that dependability is something that when you look at it through that lens of both your third guy and the rest of the players who are either MLE or vet minimum type of players that I think even going forward on this year's team are who are the guys we know we're going to get this from them every single night. This is that most important idea, right? Of, of, can I trust you as a coach? And I think one of the reasons why Frank has benched Russ I, I don't think there's been one time where he's benched Russ because Russ was playing bad within the context of of like a statistical night or how whether his shot was going in or not. I think almost every time that Russ got benched, it was because that general lack of focus that you were discussing bled into the idea that he wasn't going to be as good in the parts of the game where those side benefits were actually there. It's just like that playing hard and that idea of being locked in, Mike, that's where those side benefits come from. And if you're not locked in, guess what? You're still going to get some of the bullshit turnovers and some of the missed defensive rotations, but you're not getting any benefit from any of that stuff because the aggression sapped and he's just sort of floating around out there like, oh, hey, I didn't know the Lakers got Vlad Radmanovich again. Like, Like, oh, great. The space cadet is back. But that's the worst part of Russ really. Darius, there's one thing that I thought of immediately when you mentioned 
invoke the name of Vladimir Radmanovich. Uh, let's get to that after the break and then dive a little deeper uh, on this topic. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal. So the answer is snowboarding, obviously. I don't know how many of the rest of you thought of snowboarding immediately with Ladrad, but I, I want to use an analogy that Darius made earlier in talking about his wife, the teacher. And so Darius, when the student does something particularly well that, that contributes to the classroom vibe, the teacher is going to point it out, right? Like, especially if it's a kid that has been having trouble with something, but oh, look, Johnny really was locked in listening to that last lecture. And you could tell based on what he said uh, when uh, w- when I asked him the question and, and like, good job, Johnny. Right. There's there's a little bit. So after Westbrook was really locked in uh, to in the Warriors game and the Utah game, Frank made special notice. And he always does this to point that out because it, it's just he wants he's encouraging that moving forward. And I, I don't mean to make the analogy like and put Russ into the classroom. Because this could happen for any type of player, but it's just the idea generally of positive reinforcement and coaches have to sort of try and, and use the media to an extent and, and use the the directness in the locker room to put out those kind of points. And, and so to try to draw this back into the whole three through eight or nine thing, if Russ is locked in and when he is locked in like that, especially on defense and especially mm-hmm. in terms of taking care of the ball, then there's less pressure for four and for five Mm -hmm. and for six and it just and this is why we haven't talked about one and two especially in the case of LeBron but it goes to there too like if LeBron is really on it defensively guess what Anthony Davis is going to be at the the two spot And, and, and as the chain continues so one it really does have to go through the whole roster but just in terms of this discussion that to me is why Russ is the most important important part not just in terms of how he plays but where that where that allows the chain to go um, as you get down into the next roster spots. One of the problems in the chain, or shall I say, should I say two of them, has been the the fourth and fifth links in the chain, I think have been the weakest relative to what type of production that you need in that. The fourth highest paid player on the team is THT. And he's we've gone over his uh, trials and tribulations throughout this season, but he certainly hasn't been like a $10 million player. I am encouraged with what I'm seeing, particularly on the defensive end, but it's THT is, THT is still in that. I hope he can get to rather than he is type of space as a player. And then, of course, the unfortunate circumstances with none. But when you build a team like that, D, where it's the three max guys, those are the two not vet minimum guys who are always going to have weaknesses. Those are the two spots that you have that you really need to hit. And so you become kind of at your foundation thinner when you build around those three guys as opposed to two with and, you know, convert that third spot into the three role players that they were last season, you make your foundation thinner to the point where if there are cracks in it beyond that, not too beyond that, that foundation starts to crumble in in total. So I think that that kind of explains where we are and why the season's gone the way that it has. Yeah. And I would also argue that even with the best version of none, which I don't even know what that would look like 
on this team. I have a better idea of what that looks like with THT because he's actually played in basketball games and he he's won right. the Lakers a game. Mm-hmm. And, and so you like in the same way that you mentioned about Trez, like THT has had a couple of those nights where it's just like, oh, damn, look at THT earlier during the season. I think it was at that. Maybe it was at the Spurs. Or it was one of those early seasons. It was a home game games. against the Spurs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was one of his first games back. And it was like, oh, man, look at him. Like he's yeah. got it. Is this what he's going to be? And that's not what he's been. But that idea of what the high end of your range looks like, we've seen that from THT, and we know that that's a contributing player. The part I struggle with, though, Pete, is that three positions, three, five, and six, right, in this conversation of three through eight, all of those guys are, so THT's what, uh, six, four, six, five guard? Russell Westbrook mm-hmm. is a 6-3 or a 6-4 guard. And Kendrick Nunn is like a 6-1 or a 6-2 guard. And so you have purposefully built your team in a way where in the conversation of three through eight, three like the first three of those three through eight are all guards. Now, if you want to go even further, the guys who have now played their played their way into the next three spots. You might talk <laughs> about Malik Monk. He's a 6'1", 6'2", guard. You might talk about Austin Reeves. He's a 6'4", or a 6'5", guard. And then you might mm-hmm. mention Carmelo Anthony, who is a 6'8", 6'9", forward, right? And who's in his 19th season in the NBA. And so... We've talked a ton about, we had that whole pod about like LeBron and AD, right? Now, those dudes have been hurt a ton and AD's out again. And so that idea of the chain and how things flow through and how that cascades through the rest of your your roster, the Lakers have already been hit super hard within the context of that discussion based off of how many games LeBron has missed and how many games Anthony Dave Davis has missed. But in that conversation of three through eight, if players three, four, five, six, and eight are sort of just like, okay, well, all of those dudes are guards. They're all six, five or smaller. What does that actually do? And that to me is the nature of, of like this roster build and this discussion. And that's way more at the crux of things. And, and I hate to hammer at home because I've been hammering this point a lot this year, but it's just like, you can't build a team this way, even if all of those dudes play super good and yeah. and they're all sort of playing to their level. You can't build a functional team with this many small dudes. It's it's really hard. Well, one thing that it does, I think, and it's in contrast to the way that they won the title, is that it it asks a great deal defensively of LeBron and AD. And mm-hmm. that it, I just think that that's that's not the type of thing that you want. You know, especially in the regular season with LeBron. AD, sure. Like, you put that on. You should be a two-way star. You're in your prime right at that point. Injuries have gotten in the way this year. Uh, and and again, I, man, tears, tears come thinking how great he was playing right before he goes down. Like, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy, AD. But they're, yeah. t- so you're now asking, especially now with AD out, LeBron is like your best defensive player. In certain in certain aspects, you know, at this age with all of these miles and what you're what you need him to do 
for this team to win games, you really need his weak side defense. You really need his captaining and quarterbacking and deflections and dig downs and, you know, stuff that it's funny that if you bring Stu Lance into this kind of conversation, it's like, well, some of that could be could be termed role player stuff. In Stu's parlance, all players should be playing like that all the time. And there should be no excuse. And every player should have the, the pedal down. And, 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 you know, whenever I'm joking around with Stu, it's like, well, well yeah, but that, that in its own right is a talent, right? To have the guys that can do that. Mm-hmm. And, but asking LeBron to do that almost because he has to, because otherwise, what are you going to do? Is, are you going to play DeAndre and Dwight? You know, and, the, and then you have all these other problems, right, that we're trying to shoot down. So that's, that to me is, is the biggest part of this difficulty now and in moving forward. And you wish that Russ could, could step up and kind of continue to do some of that as well. But I'm, I worry about how LeBron is going to be able to uh, have to handle that burden just based on what his size is relative to the other guys in this three through eight and what their ability is defensively. A hundred percent. And no matter to what degree Russ steps up, he's still six, three, six, four, six, four. And, and, you know, there's just a limitation to the degree that he can help now, certainly on the defensive boards and just being a presence in the paint to whatever degree he can, that, that will help. But like, yeah, it's a, it's a numbers game. And like the way that you laid it out there, D was if three through eight, if three, four, five, six, and eight are all six, five and under, that makes sense in context of your two best players being forwards and or bigs. I would argue that Le- both LeBron and AD's best position is the five. So if that's your four or five, that's great. But what happens if one of them get hurt? And that has described so much of this season that that it, it takes – and that's part of the reason why I do think that if we just get a little bit of time together – and that's not going to happen at this point with AD's mm-hmm. injury, but that – if we have them and just give us a few games together, there it, it, it's not a natural fit, right? Like this roster is still very strange, but without one of them, there's just a critical failure and you just don't, ha- don't have enough guys over 6'5". This is where even though last year's team had its own problems, this is where like, oh, hey, look, Mark Gasol. Oh, hey, look, Montrez Harrell. Oh, look, Markeith Morris and... Um, Andre Drummond after the buyout deadline like those dudes are all guys who supplement LeBron and AD and look at those four names that I just said and compare them to this year's version of Trevor Ariza to this year's version of DeAndre Jordan to this year's version of Dwight Howard and to this year's yeah. version of Carmelo Anthony those are the four names that are now supplementing LeBron and AD And compare them to the names that I just said. And the only guy who was playing to the level that the Lakers need him to is Carmelo Anthony. He's the only one. I have a fondness for Dwight because of how hard he plays and and sort of the the nature of like the muscle memory that he brings to what it meant to be a great player in this league and what made him great and how he tries to bring those things still. But He's not at the level that he was just two seasons ago when the Lakers won the the championship. And supplementing him with DeAndre Jordan, a guy who coming into the season, there was skepticism all over the league about how good he could still be and whether or not he could be a rotation player. Now, we could argue a bunch of stuff, but... Go back to what we were talking about in terms of all of those guys being guards who are in who are slotted up near the top of that three, three through eight, and how there were no forwards 
And so when Ariza's hurt and THT is hurt and LeBron can only play so many minutes and AD can only play so many minutes and it's just like, okay, well, now we're playing bigger dudes who can't really play and it's like, ah, what happened? And it's because of the roster imbalance and all of this other stuff. And we're again pulling our hair out a little bit about the middle part of this roster and where the limitations were and how much of this was avoidable versus not and how much of it contributed to where the Lakers are now. Well, so what what the roster clearly does have is a lot of guys, and this is let's just assume that none were healthy, a lot of guys that can go create their own shot, that can sort of keep the offense afloat, uh, that can take possessions away from LeBron and all that on offense. And I've always been much more interested in having the guys that can do that for LeBron on defense because ultimately LeBron's still going to have the ball and even take Russ out of it. So like point guard LeBron in the title year, I get that that was taxing and not that I would have asked him to do that again. I just I think if I've only got so many resources, you know, those are the things that I'm going to focus most on. And because ultimately we still see LeBron's, you know, almost leading the league in scoring and he still has his sister still up. He's just going to have the ball. And I think that that can be one. I think that will be likely right. One adjustment in this offseason is kind of shifting back, not to not to losing all ball handling and support behind LeBron, but having more guys that can help him out just overall on the defense and energy standpoint. Uh, And and, you know, that's that's just the connected to me to what these roster spots are. Yeah, I think we probably turned the dial too far in a certain direction. I certainly think that having that additional ball handling and shot creation alongside LeBron is is important. But if the other hole that you've created is, oh, now you're by far the best defensive players. I mean, and when they're locked in there, that no matter who is on the team, but that you have to carry that defensive load for 48 minutes, uh, that that is, you don't want to create that problem. And so those D and three guys become especially important. It's also why the banishment of Kent Bazemore has always, has been strange to me after, you know, two weeks in the starting lineup alongside DeAndre Jordan on a pretty bad team that where you could like squint and be like, ah, you could play the three for us sometimes if, if you want, you know, and, it, and what's funny as I bring him up in this whole conversation at three three eight you know who we haven't brought up is avery bradley who's actually been in the starting lineup yeah not, not the guy we want in the starting lineup but he has been in that three through eight i think in part mike to be one of those d and three guys yeah and i and i in the little exercise pete you hit today at the start of the pod i put baseball over bradley as my last guy there uh, just just for the sheer purposes mm-hmm. of balancing the rest of the roster getting a little bit more size and even with you know base has some issues sometimes uh, with turnovers and early in season, but I am, I have now, I just, at all, at cost of anything else, I want that additional size um, in, from Bazemore and, and, and speed really in transition. Mm-hmm. So who would you guys end with in terms of like, if it was your choice, the three through eight guys, like, I think we could all agree that like, like who were the guys, you don't have to rank them, but who are those six players, right? Because that's what, what it is, three, four, five, six, seven, yeah, so eight, right? Russ, Reeves, Johnson, Monk, Mello, and Bazemore. Are are we assuming no none in this exercise? Uh, if just for now, like he's not, he's yeah. certainly not yeah. playing on Friday. None would be in know? my eight if he were. <sighs> yeah, like if oh, he had oh, even I'm played. Sorry. I didn't say THT. Did I say THT? You, you did didn't. not. Yeah, yeah. So, T- so for sure, THT and THT, THT would get, over Bazemore. You know, Bazemore would yes, but Bazemore would be sort of like because I think you need nine really. 
you know, going back plus LeBron and AD and AD's out anyway. So, yeah. So in this case, add THGN. That was my oversight. I think at nine or ten, and ten, you need like situational guys. Like yeah. White would be a situational guy where the other team's got a seven foot, two hundred and seventy pound guy that it's not even advantageous to have AD bang with him, you know, for an entire series. Hey, let's get Dwight in there. A shooter can be that too. Um, and so, yeah, I agree that nine and ten, those are important too. But three through eight, I'd be uh, Russ Monk and Melo. But I don't think that we can have both of them on the floor at the same time. Ideally, um, Austin. THT Stanley Stanley would be in that but no you're where I am no you're where I am even see it's just so small it's it's a small collective group it's not even about Stanley it's like I'm listing these guys and it's Malik's tiny guys go through Austin and it just keeps all of these roads keep going back to like we need a forward like we need one of those guys to be a reason for this team to be functional we needed one of those guys to be a reason I would argue even beyond that they needed one of those guys to be the player who Dwight Howard or DeAndre Jordan is Yes. Right. Absolutely. Like what they really needed was for that dude to be Andre Drummond or Mark Gasol or like they needed Damian Jones. There's three centers that have played for the Lakers over the last season and a half who could have filled in in a way where it's just like I'm still looking for the second big man who can play next to LeBron and, and Anthony Davis in functional lineups where it's just like, OK, you're actually a center. You can play with these two dudes and the Lakers can play more of the style that the head coach actually likes yeah. and give you, I don't know, man, six, eight minutes a game of that look where that's one fifth of the game, yeah. one sixth of the game. Can we give you that look and say, we're actually going to win those minutes on 75% of the nights? Right. Because that's the dude that's missing here. It's that swing big man, the guy who could play next to LeBron and AD and take something off of their plate and say, no, 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 I I got it tonight. I got this part of Mm -hmm. things tonight. Right. And on any given night last year, Mark Gasol would be like, I got defense and some outside shooting. Montrez Harrell could be like, I got the rebounds and I got. 10 to 15 points in the paint. Mm -hmm. Or Andre Drummond could be like, I got the rebounds and I got some rim protection. Maybe a couple of post-ups. And the season before that, Dwight Howard could be like, I got all this defense and all this rebounding and all of this strength and physicality. I got y'all on this part. Mm -hmm. And instead, the Lakers got none of that in any of their big men this season. And it's a rough look. It's a rough look, guys. It really is. It is. This will not be the end of this conversation. I think that we went some interesting places here, and I think that we got more uh, ground to cover, which we certainly will. And I think this will be a prelude to tomorrow's pod where we preview this last half of the season. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Three seconds left, Van Exel to win it, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals
Brunton. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.